0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Carter, and thank you for joining me on a podcast for parents, teachers, and administrators. Today's conversation should be a good one, and I'm sure it's something on your mind. So let's get to it. So thank you so much for joining me here today, Nina. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you're connected to the world of parenting and education?
1: Of course, it would be my pleasure. (laughs) Probably, first and foremost, I am a mom, so I have three children. I have a son who is sixteen he is a sophomore in high school, and I have two daughters who are thirteen and eleven, so they're in eighth grade and sixth grade respectively, and um quasi in school these days, sort of half time um but I'd say being being a mom is inherently weaves you in with the education community because that's a, such a huge part of their journey. Um and then I've also taught a lot of art over the past decade at my children's school just on a volunteer basis, usually concurrent with the curriculum. Um and I've really 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 loved that. I have a passion for art and I love working with younger kids in particular because they're totally unjaded and confident in their perceptions around art. So it's really awesome to throw up something contemporary and weird and hear their, their like announcement of what it is, in fact, boldly and uninhibited. And so I really about alacrity? <laughs> enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I've had some just remarkable experiences doing that. I'm really grateful for it. So those are the people yeah. I'd say my two primary connections to the education world. Excellent.
0: And so what are we going to talk
1: about today? Ooh, I get to pick. Is that right? Dealers choice. Anything is fair game. Okay. Gosh, I would love to talk about, well, I would love to talk about race in schools. In part, because I think it's super current. I feel like I have a toe in the water um, a little bit in a, in a I don't know how to describe it because it's not full throttle, but my husband's Korean, so my kids are half Asian and they identify as Asian, which is an interesting, has been an interesting experience for me as a parent, too, to realize that my children's identity and also their experience is different than mine as a very white person. (laughs) Um, so that topic really, really interests me a ton. All the
0: all the levels of it. So, do you find in that in this? Here's a question for you that may be a little unusual, but do you find because your children are Korean American and white, do yep. you feel like there's almost like a hierarchy of needs when you talk about racism and ostracism? Um, I have some. We used to live with students who are um, Korean and Chinese. And they would sometimes feel like they were passengers on the race bus and not necessarily active participants or drivers in getting people to see them and to steer away from stereotypes. Have you had that experience with your kids?
1: I would. Yes. Although I would with the qualifier because of the school they go to, it's a private school. It's a wonderful school, but it's, I would say, poor in the diversity department. So they actually, in that setting, they are actually quite diverse. Um, but I think if you were an African-American child, you would feel much more, um, I think you would feel much more engaged with race issues in that particular setting. Um, and I'm thinking about like stereotypes and things like that that they've encountered. And for sure, there's sort of, The stereotype that they're smart, or that they're going to be good at math, or my daughters to me look unbelievably different. They have different hair color, they have different eye color, they're different ages, and every single teacher that has had them has said, "You guys look like twins." And I'm thinking it's really because, yeah, because they look Asian, they've been lumped together. So these kinds of little things, I think, on the spectrum of racism, they feel comparatively benign with, with, you know, what could, but I've noticed there are some generalizations or stereotypes or ways in which they're perceived that I'm like, wow, they really are getting lumped into a category, Mm. even visually, even these are teachers I know and like. So I realize that they just don't even realize that they made these assessments or have these expectations. Right.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I feel like the, the, the benign racism is what kills you most. because it's, tell, me, tell me about that. Well, because then it's almost like, well, that's little, you know, and it, it can sit there. You know, I'm not going to make a fuss about it. But then that's how things get perpetuated, right? You know, right.
1: and right.
0: You know, Ian has had that happen, my son. Um, yeah you've confused with another child that's African American, and they'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry, you guys look so much alike And he'll be quick to say, "No, we don't are you kidding yeah me? <laughs> but, <laughs> no. but and, and and interestingly, when he says that, the reaction from whoever said it is like, I don't want to say shame, but embarrassment for sure. I can see that. I can, can see, see that. I don't know if your daughters check their teachers, if they feel that same sense of embarrassment, even though to me, I feel like that's just as racist. It's terrible. It <laughs> is kind of yeah. terrible. Yeah. It, it, you know, yeah. and because well, and, again, because it's not, it's, we, we don't have a heightened sense of awareness of, you know, Asian American racism, because we figure, oh, we put you in internment camps, but you know what? You guys got over that. What? I mean, yeah. if you look yeah. at our history with Asian American or Asians in general, it's terrible. Oh, it's know? terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> so, oh, there's no doubt. And I don't know how we've, we've gotten to a place where those two situations that your kids face and my kids face, there's a level of how we should you know, feel about that? I I feel just as outraged about each.
1: That's so interesting. That's actually a really good point because I I found it befuddling actually. And I had I said to Noah, my son, like because he knows all these teachers, he went all the way you know through the school too. And I said, Noah, why is it that these four teachers have said to your sisters that they look alike when they so? Clearly, are very distinct from each other, and he goes, "Mom, because there's just not enough Asians at our school, so they all kind of look, like." He saw it right away. It was like they're making a generalization here, mm-hmm. and it's tougher. He's not um, super forthcoming about that, although he's aware of things like that for sure in his own experience.
0: Yeah, um,
1: it's harder to pull it out of them, but he saw it in two seconds. Yeah. I really focused on the actual, do they look alike and I don't see it? <laughs> and he's like, no, mom. They're, they're being lumped into a category because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, diversity in our school.
0: Yeah. Do you have good conversations with your kids about their identities?
1: Like, For sure. They, themselves? they, I choose to identify as, as Asian um, because, and this is really fascinating to me. Uh, they, it's cool to them to be in this current environment, especially. they like... Um, they like feeling like they represent diversity. They think it's kind of cool. Um, the girls do, at least. And Noah, when he was this was my first meaningful experience with race and my kids, I might have told you the story, but um, Noah was being teased as a sixth grader for being Asian. Like they started kind of, buddy started making jokes. He's a very sure-fitted kid socially. He just kind of gets the bro code. He's never really struggled. And in that situation, the way he chose to cope was to make Asian jokes. (laughs) And they were super funny to the sixth grade male population at the school, so they spread like wildfire. <laughs> he got he got so then all the kids were telling Asian troops. So he got sent to um it was actually Sarah's predecessor, this man Adrian, an African American man, so wonderful. Noah got sent to his office to sort of have a discussion about race and where he was coming from and why he chose. And then after that conversation, Adrian called me and i fumbled my way through the conversation and at the end of it i said adrian i am realizing i have i have the support and my our values and the intellectualism to navigate this with my son but i don't have empathy because i i have not had yeah the experience he's having of being singled out as other because of his race. And he looks very, very, very strongly Asian. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I didn't know I gave birth to
0: <laughs> him, you know, so he really And all the work and then you no. get this kid that that's what, what it nothing. is for me. You're like, this kid doesn't even look like me. I know. You're like, I, I know I had him. I've got the war wounds <laughs> to
1: prove it. Um, So that experience really resonated with me on a lot of levels and started my deeper thinking about about race because I knew my kids were going to have a different experience of Mm -hmm. growing up than I would. So we do talk about it a lot. The girls are really forthcoming. Sora, my middle child in particular, feels strongly about being um, non-white and feels very empowered by it and passionate about it and deeply sympathetic to other um minority populations always yeah. she's super perceptive
0: i would say just hypersensitive to it yeah i mean i find that really interesting that well i don't really i i know his reaction to his buddies mm-hmm. i think that you know he would if he were chubby he would have made fat jokes if he were tall he would you know what i mean But He don't even, he didn't even realize, wait a minute, I'm stepping in this big cow pie that (laughs) it's what six, come on. Sixth grade boys, everything is hilarious, especially the more inappropriate. And I taught school for 10 years. (laughs) So, you know, yeah. Some of the things that people said, I was like, I can't even I had the laugh, but I, I tend yeah. to think a lot of things are hilarious and ridiculous. But, you know, yeah. and I it's, it's so difficult to, you know, you don't on, on the one hand, you you want to help them mature and go out into the world and not be a, you know, whatever. But on the other hand, he's he's in sixth grade. You know, how much of this does he have to carry? You know, also Um, totally true. (laughs) You know, it's weird. And I think every parent struggles with because we all struggle with those ideas about, like, when do we let our children mature and how do we let them mature? But I think when you're a parent of a child that presents as a non-white person, it's there's this additional layer. Um, There's a lot of discussion about how young African-American girls are sex hyper-sexualized really young like there's um what is it cuties that's the name of the netflix movie um yeah. and it's actually you know i read a review i read an overview it's it actually sounds like something every girl should watch but yeah. um you know we there's a lot of study and discussion about how young black girls in particular are forced into adulthood because their bodies are curvier or because they develop earlier, you know? And right. then you have to kind of weigh at what point, that's not a child's fault, you know, she should still be playing with dolls and, you know, doing all the things that a 10 or 11 year old girl does. But at the same time, we, as parents know, society's going to have, look, ha- have a look at you and make an evaluation, you know?
1: 100%. and treat I mean, you
0: accordingly. Believe it or not, I've been almost the same size since eighth grade. So when I was like 13 and 14, 40-year-old men and 30-year-old men would be like, oh, my God, hey. And I was like, I'm only 13, you know? Yeah.
1: What are you doing? Yeah. That is is a really – those things are so challenging because there's what you can handle as a parent on the home front. And then there's society at large, which is a very powerful force, particularly – in the teenage years you know and how they're treated all
0: of it it's all based on looks too you know it is hey there if you've gotten this far into the episode chances are that you really like what you're listening i'm going to ask you to press pause and share this particular episode with five people that you think would really enjoy listening to it I'm also going to ask that you subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening, and now let's get back to the conversation. Like Ian was, my Ian is 6'8 now, but when he was 12, his graduate, so for his graduation from elementary school, he was taller than me and he wore his dad's shoes, but he was only 10. So he would, go, he would go to the mall chasing his friend around and people were like, what's wrong with him? And I was like, he's 10. He's supposed to, you know, this is normal 10 year old behavior, but yeah, you know, and it's such a struggle when for us parents to look at your kid, but then not, you know, not put all of the society's pressure on them, you know? Yeah. I think. Well, we, yeah. I think we kind of went the other way um, where we really allowed Ian to be young for as long as possible because we knew that with his size that people would automatically think he was older. And yep. so we, you know, as a parent, we kind of held back. And then as an educator, I try to neutralize appearance and go on personality. If I had Um, A child in in my class that presents as Asian, but doesn't necessarily identify as that. That's not for me to make that choice and decision. You know, it's sort of like, you know, when you're in a classroom with kids, and that's why, you know, taking it back to, you know, presenting this to their teachers, most teachers don't want their kids to feel bad in class, you know. Right. And frankly, especially in private school, you know, you don't, you don't go to a private school to have experiences like that. You go to teach and help and grow and nurture. Um, And it's, you know, it's a point of growth and reflection for the teachers also, you know, what you bring to somebody that is in um, a position about diversity and inclusion. You know, this is sort of, it's benign on the one hand, but it can be so insidious because it's such a can of worms, you know?
1: It is a can of worms. Well, it reflects something bigger than the simple statement being made. And you're right. If you're complacent at any level, that can have implications, you know? And I think those, they're all things that we need to be addressing. I'm fascinated by your comment, though. Do you think in a classroom you can um, create a setting where race isn't acknowledged or, you know, like you were saying, if you have an Asian child that doesn't identify as Asian, you don't want to draw attention to it. So it's sort of like, sounds like neutralizing that part of the identity so they can just kind of be kids.
0: Well, it's sort of, it's a little bit of a blend of both. You know, in my career, I have, my personality, first of all, does not make me shy away from anything difficult. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that. I can see it. (laughs) I don't I'm like, "Eh, whatever. Um, (laughs) So like I can, I can tell you a a quick story. Um, I was teaching 11th grade literature and I taught in a school district called Upper Derby, which is on the outskirts of um, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And Upper Derby has a really interesting history in that for many, many years, it was all Irish Catholic. Okay. But Sometime in the like, early 60s, a big wave of Greek people moved in. And a lot of white people were like, we don't want to live with them. You know, we, we like Irish and Catholic, you know, so they left. And then with the civil rights era, like in the 60s and early 70s, there was another wave, but it was African-American people. Well, then there was white flight and they left in droves. And in that particular case, they were selling their houses at like fire sale prices. Yeah. And so there was also an immigration office not far from there. So they were getting snapped up left and right by all these people from literally all over the world. And wow. so in this neighborhood, you had extremely affluent white people who couldn't sell their houses at you know, that reduced price and you had extremely poor white people whose houses were already so low, they couldn't move anywhere. And then in the middle you had African-Americans, Greeks, um, people from all over Asia. I had kids from Pakistan, India, Laos, Thailand, Korea. I had lost boys from Sudan. I had Czechs, I had Slovakians, I had Latvians and skinheads. So, The whole pie. The whole pie. And the universe, because of my disposition, seems to love giving me these difficult situations. So I always had racist kids. And it was so funny. They're like, wait a minute, you have blah, blah, blah kid? And that kid is a known racist. And I was like, that doesn't surprise me. Yes, (laughs) so
1: how how were those kids in a setting like that,
0: though? Well, interestingly... It's the second mark, and it's so funny. I'm talking about this on 9 11 because when, when the towers went, we were watching it, and they were like, This is the second biggest high school in the state. You guys all have to go home because we have no idea what's going on. But that's right. another story for another day. Um, amazingly, they kind of clustered together, but when they got into class, they all managed to get along pretty well.
1: Right. I think we're driven towards that ultimately, you know, but if you have to be, if you, if you're dispersed enough, and it's an eclectic enough group of people, your baseline becomes your, your humanity, right? We're all juniors in high school, you know, and I feel like that is something we have to figure out. I feel like that is one of the solutions or one of the, Endeavors we need to undertake is having more cross pollination of people who are different because we can get down to how we're
0: yeah similar because we you know we in in that particular school um, <laughs> we read a story about arranged marriage mm-hmm. and because we also diverse we actually had in our class who were arranged and were happy about it yeah. And, you know, they were like, we read this story, and I will never forget. We we finished the story, and this white kid who hadn't said much because I think he was mad that he was in my class. He was like, "This is bullshit," and I was like, "I I have no idea why you're mad." You know, what do? You, and I, I said, what, "What what is bullshit?" And he said, "There's no way that my father have an opinion about who I marry. He beats my mother up, and then, and then he goes into his family dynamics." So another girl who's African-American says, I get that, but I, my dad was killed when I was a toddler. So I never met my dad. So I would be glad to have him around. And then it was just like popcorn. Everyone started giving all these perspectives. There were tears. We were laughing. It was the best classes that I've ever had. And from that moment on, everything in the class changed because we were talking about race. We were talking about class. We were talking about culture. But nobody had to say that. Everybody yeah. was just talking about their experience. Yeah. And this one girl, we all knew she, was, um, she had been arranged because she was like 17 and she was pregnant. And yes. so, you know, you're we, like, well, speaking of arranged marriage. Yeah. Wanna Anybody want to speak up? You know, and she even <laughs> contributed and she's like, yeah, you know, people have all these ideas about it and this is what it actually is. And when I tell you, everybody in that class was like on the edge of their seat because you, if, if you have the chance to really have a frank conversation with someone that's having experience that's so foreign from what your experience is, I mean, that's like catnip, you know? Yeah. It's fascinating gonna, it's fascinating you know like how often are you going to be able to ask a 17 year old pregnant person about her arranged marriage and what she said, totally changed my i mean i you know i was like oh you know when and blah, blah, blah. it completely and utterly changed my perspective and she talked about what a point of pride it was and how her family and his family really worked together to make sure that they would be the kind of people that could stay married forever. And I, I mean, we all were like, wow, you know, right?
1: it became so, compelling once you've had a chance to have a personal experience with somebody. So I, I love that.
0: I think sometimes we, 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 just in general, because we're so afraid to talk about difference that we don't, you know? And I think that's true. Yeah. I'm right. guilty.
1: I am guilty of that. I get nervous about saying the wrong thing or, you know, and then I shy away from it. And I, we really do need to be comfortable doing it, a deep dive or curating those types of conversations because they're so critical, you
0: I know, think, I mean, to connecting. If you want to talk about diversity without necessarily saying, hey, what is it like in a Jewish house around Hanukkah? You know, if you ask people how they spend family holidays in December, like when you were a kid, what was it like growing up in your Christmas? You'll find out who was poor. You'll find out who was rich. You'll find out customs for black people. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you punt a ball that seems pretty innocuous, but... You know, because we're all so different, you end up discovering all these traditions and, and people's backgrounds without necessarily having to be so, like, you know, blunt about the question, you know? So there's That's an amazing no suggestion. ways that you can, you can enter conversations, you know, and I would, I would actually love to, like, pick your kids' brains and say, like, what are conversations like with your friends? Like, you know, I'm obviously they have groups of friends and they talk about whatever it is they talk about. But you know, I would be really curious. You know, oh my is, gosh, what are you love talking to do about? <laughs> I would love to do that.
1: Well, thank it was oh, this is a blast. So I've loved it. I've really loved it, and I'll think about more people. Um, with whom I'd love to connect you because I think these are such great conversations and people having access to them is really cool.
0: Thank you so much. Well, this has been a blast and I really appreciate you being willing to talk to me.
1: My pleasure.
0: It was, I got, I got,
1: I'm sure even more out of it than I gave. (laughs) I'm delighted.
0: All right, well, I'll talk to you soon. I can't wait. Okay, bye. So that's our conversation for today. I hope you found some information that was interesting or a perspective that you hadn't thought of. If you like what you heard, or even if you have some feedback, put a comment in our comment section. Be sure to like our page and make sure that you subscribe so that you can hear when the next video comes out. Thanks so much again for joining us.